Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to dominate your career, then you are in the right place. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Monica Marquez, ex-Googler, diversity expert, and senior corporate leader. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Monica Marquez, your host for today's episode. How many times have you purchased a product only to realize that whoever created it didn't build it with you in mind? Or how many times have you laughed out loud seeing a clothing tag that says one size fits all when it's clearly obvious that it would barely fit a child, needless to say, a grown adult? Well, in this episode, Annie Jean-Baptiste, Google's head of product inclusion, shares how she helps teams make sure Google products are made for everyone. She spends her days making sure everyone matters. But the most important message she shares is how your voice, your unique experiences, and what makes you different from others is the secret to success. Stepping into your power, even if it doesn't look like the kind of cookie-cutter example of what leadership looks like, is what will bring success, and it helps others expand their frame of reference. That authenticity fosters diversity, which fuels innovation. As the head of product inclusion at Google, Annie leads product inclusion strategy across the company, including consultation, communications, scale and research, and she created the movement three years ago as a way to ensure underrepresented users feel seen throughout the product design process. Annie is passionate about making the web and Google's products work for the underserved communities, while ensuring Google is a place where everyone shines for their differences. Annie graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with degrees in international relations and political science. She's an avid Boston sports fan and loves to bring her dog Hercules to work. Outside of Google, Annie is a former American Heart Association spokesperson and a One Young World ambassador focused on healthy lifestyles in underserved communities. Her book, Building for Everyone, is available now. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you will find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Annie. Hi, Annie. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Beyond Barriers podcast. Uh, appreciate you taking the time and um, sharing with our listeners your story, your background, and your pearls of wisdom of how you have been successful in the corporate world. So I want to jump right in. I don't want to waste any time. Um, <laughs> tell us a little about your story and what you've learned along your journey. So first, uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I think, you know, the main things when I was thinking about my journey and and getting, um, you know, to Google and getting to do the work that I I really feel blessed to do is really about finding your authentic leadership style. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think there's a misconception that leaders have to be loud or they have to, you know, show up a certain way. And I think that um, throughout my career, uh, I've struggled with what that looks like for me and and if that kind of fit. And I think one of the main lessons that I've learned is to kind of step into your power, even if that doesn't look like the kind of cookie cutter Mm -hmm. um, example of what leadership looks like. Because I think a lot of times, especially for women of color, right, like the leadership model doesn't necessarily fit with like what is authentic to us. So I think figuring out you know, one, you don't have to be loud to be a leader. Um, Two, you know, a lot of times I think 
being sensitive and, and being very like empathetic has mm-hmm. been pegged as not a strength, but I think it's, it's something that has lended well to kind of building trust um, with key stakeholders, building trust with um, the communities that I, I want to serve and, mm-hmm. and support. Um, th- those have been really big learnings for me is like things that maybe haven't shown up as like the blueprint for being a leader. That doesn't matter, right? It's all about being authentic. And when you're right. authentic, people are, are much drawn to you and can, um, can associate with what you're talking about, right? Because there's that underlying trust because you're being authentic to yourself um, and that you need multiple types of personalities to get things done, right? So not everyone mm-hmm. has to be an extrovert. Not everyone has to like public speaking, right? It's all about figuring out how to get the message across um, in a way that will resonate with the people that you're trying to, to reach. That's fantastic. And I love how you pointed out the fact that the model of success um, doesn't necessarily look like you. I mean, it tends to look like the the majority um, population or the majority of the leaders that tend to be, you know, white males or the history of the organization, their success is defined by very maybe masculine traits or, you know, just success looks different. Um, And how being your authentic self and being able to tap into what you bring in terms of different perspectives is what's really going to help you move ahead in that regard. So I really love that piece. Now, you and I both know because we had the pleasure of working with each other while I was at Google that um, that can be challenging in the sense of, you know, just um, having some fears or imposter syndrome or things like that when you aren't part of the majority and you feel like maybe you are the oddball or the only one. How did you get past some of those maybe, you know, fears and limiting beliefs? I think the first thing is like everyone has imposter syndrome. So no matter, you know, how accomplished you are, no matter how senior you are, right? Like every leader, I I think that helps to think like every leader at some point, right? Like not even just in their life, but even in the course of a month, a year, right? Is going to have times where you're like, do I fit in, right? Like, am I doing the right thing? I think that that's just, that's human nature. So just to realize that everyone has that. I think for me personally, kind of back to the first question, right? Like leaning into what makes me different, right? There's no way that I'm ever going to (laughs) show up as the majority, right? Um, Right. So there's no benefit in me expending energy to try to do that. So I think leaning into what makes me authentic, right? It can be something as um, surface as, you know, showing up in a a blazer like this, right? Right. Or, um, (laughs) you know, figuring out what my, you know, my presentation style is or understanding kind of, who I need in my community to support me to kind of push myself forward, right? But I think the more that you try to fit into a mold that wasn't made for you or, or with you in mind, um, the harder it is and the less, the more energy you have to expend, right? right. I think once you kind of li- live, live into your strengths and, and kind of step into your authentic light, you don't have to worry about that as much because that's you, right? So um, I also think I realized that the stuff that may be different were actually a value add, right? So with product inclusion work, 
the whole point is to bring a multitude of perspectives and experiences to key points in the product design process. Right. Because I have a different experience, a different background, you know, my parents are both immigrants, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of those things that make me who I am is actually adding value, right? And so it was more about how to kind of, again, harness that and, and, and kind of work with others to kind of bring that forward and also to bring more people who have different backgrounds, different experiences, different walks of life into the fold because the outcome is actually better for everyone when you do that. No, that's fantastic. Now, one thing I want to ask, because you talked about product inclusion, and um, it's exciting for me because I know that, you know, I was part of the team and we, like, you know, me and working with the communities, how you started kind of uh, gaining that traction of pulling the ERGs in and work in the kind of the infancy of the product inclusion work that you were starting. Um, how did you gain clarity kind of like that that was a strength of yours and that it could become a career path? Like how did you, you know, what is it that kind of made you have the aha moment that, you know, this is what you're great at and you leveraged it and now it's become this significant, very kind of critical um, piece in, you know, just product development at a place like Google. So share a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I think when you know when I first started doing this work, I didn't think that it would become my full time job, right? I think we saw a gap and an opportunity right. to expand how we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion to not just be culture and representation, but also product design, right? And to think about okay, we again have employee resource groups. We have all these people from underrepresented. Um, backgrounds across multiple dimensions of diversity. And if we're building for users around the world, we need to have those perspectives at key points, right? Right. And so I think it was about one, something that I'm I'm just deeply passionate about, right? Like I'm definitely really passionate about products and and Google's products. I'm definitely really passionate about um, communities and uplifting and centering voices that have historically been at the margins. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very natural balance. And so I think, you know, they say that if you can find something you're passionate about, something that gives you purpose and you can get paid for it, right? Like that's (laughs) a a trifecta kind of, of, of what, you know, the sweet spot is. And so I think, coming from the global business organization, having worked on the diversity team, it was also, I think, something where I saw that you could bring the business case and the human case together, right? It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be either or. And I think that community building is really important to me, right? And so it was about bringing... um, more than just the, the typical people who had been advocating for diversity and inclusion into the fold and finding a place for them. Um, and then I think as it started to materialize, right, it started very small and you know this, right? It started very scrappy, very small. Right. And I think that's okay, right? I think that uh, nothing has to come and, and become a movement overnight, right? Like you can right. start with one group, one team, one feature. Um, but if you have the passion and belief that it could be improved or could be more inclusive, right? Um, or you have some idea on how to change it, start with the people that are willing to kind of meet you halfway, build on that create kind of, you know, a success framework around that, and then it can continue to build, right? So I think, you know, I, in the beginning, I wasn't thinking that it was going to be my full-time role, but it was more about, I know that we can bring in even more inclusive lens, like how would we do that and who needs to be involved? And then it was more about then creating the resources and infrastructure so that more than just me is doing it. And also figuring out what, what was the value proposition, right? To get 
leadership to get, mm-hmm. you know, employee resource group members to get these like vital stakeholders on board? Like what were they, how were they adding value, but also how were they getting recognized? How was it um, helping with the things that they most care about? That's wonderful. Now you mentioned something key in terms of getting the, that whole value proposition in terms of getting the buy-in from senior leadership and others to really kind of turn this into a movement for, per se. What helped you gain access to those influential leaders or what, you know, maybe what uh, strategies did you use to kind of get people to see the value prop- proposition? You know, I think, you know, the first thing is, I think all relationships are built on trust. And so I think the first thing is, is to take time to understand what makes people tick and what they care about, right? So I think the first thing I tried to do with with different leaders was to understand more about their business, you know, what, what was top of mind for them, what challenges they had, what opportunities there were, and figure out how this work could fit into that and amplify and, and get them closer to their goals, right? Um, and I think that that takes time, right? I think it doesn't work well when you kind of, you know, find time with someone and you're like, I need you to do this. And like, this is why, right? Like, there's <laughs> right. no other... <laughs> That's not a, a, you know, reciprocal relationship. And I think a lot of times you miss glimmers of how you can even improve kind of what you're pitching or improve how you can partner if you don't have the background. So I think the first thing is to take time to understand um, what, you know, what their teams looked like, what were they focused on, what launches are coming out, right? And then figuring out how bringing underrepresented voices amplifies that. So, you know, when you look at, you know, 1 billion people in the world with a a permanent disability, right? You look at purchasing power of Black and Hispanic Latinx users in the trillions, right? These are, you know, there's a misconception that underrepresented groups don't have power and that's not true, right? So I think it was, second is education. And the third is, you know, we are organizing the world's information, making it universally accessible and useful. So let's parse out what universal means. It means no matter where you're from, what you look like, who you love, how much money you make, et cetera, any of the dimensions that make you who you are, we're building with you in mind. And so what is the protocol to do that? And like, how do we, how do we build that together? No, that's fantastic. And it's true. We're, we're building for, like you said, this universal world and, and I remember you saying, if we don't bring the perspectives of, um, you know, of those, of those individuals, those culturals, those backgrounds, and how are we going to build for them? And I think that was vital. And I think, um, you know, more and more leaders are starting to see the value proposition in that. Now, you mentioned how we did start off very scrappy. I remember, you know, you and um, others on the team who were saying, okay, it was like two of you, maybe it was you and somebody else, right? And a sidekick. And thinking about, um, you had to then start developing an infrastructure and stump, um, into, in order to start scaling. What are some tips you can share on how you became effective on ex- executing and actually creating that kind of framework and that infrastructure? What helped you, what made you successful in that space? Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a journey and I would say we definitely don't have it all figured out. Um, but I think what was important is to understand the entire product design process, right? I think the first thing that we started to do was say, we have all these employee resource groups, we have all these underrepresented Googlers, like how do we bring their voices into the fold? So then the next phase is, well, where in the fold do they need to come in, right? Like, (laughs) is it 
in the beginning? Is it at the end? Is it at the middle? And what we found was there were multiple, you know, inflection points throughout the process where we should bring an inclusive blend. So we started to do that and build that out and, and you know, bring um, people into the uh, user research, the design, right, the testing. Um, after a while, right, there were a lot of teams doing this work. It was important to um, take a step back and kind of reflect on if there were process points in the design process where, you know, disproportionately it would affect the outcome of the, the end product, right? And so we spent some time um, doing research on, on just that, right? So if we have 25 points in the product design process, let's say, people aren't going to do all 25, right? And, right. and nor should they, right? So which are, which are the process points? And so what we found were that the ideation, user research, user testing, and marketing phases were the four points where teams kept coming back for help mm-hmm. um, and that you could really kind of see improvement if you focused on those points. And then the second piece that was really interesting was that teams that were doing this well or, you know, really mm-hmm. kind of improving, they they definitely took at least two of those four process points, right? So it wasn't like you just, you know, thought about it at the beginning and then you just launched a product and like didn't bring them in at points, right? You had to find another one of those four points to kind of materially um, improve. And so I think when people are just starting, you know, what you want to think about is, okay, like what are the touch points in in the process, right? Is there a team that ideates? Is there a team that does research? Um, Is there a sales team, right? Like what are those key points? And then, are they bringing diverse perspectives to the table, right? Like the first thing is to figure, figure that out, right? Like, do you have the background? Do you have the data on like who is being asked and why and by whom, right? right. Um, and then you can start to say, well, you know, our marketing, we really need to be telling, you know, more inclusive stories uh, and bring more voices to the table, right? Or mm-hmm. at the ideation, you know, it's only just this product team that comes up with the idea and then everyone follows suit, right? Maybe we should bring some people from HR, right? Some right. some people from other areas, even to just get different perspectives. Because I think what happens is, you know, we all are heads down in our work, right? And so we don't even see when something doesn't fit for someone else because we're coming with our own lens. And so the more that you can bring perspectives outside of your own, the richer it'll be because they'll make you think or they'll say, I don't get this, right? Um, right. This doesn't work for me and this is why. But you, you're never going to know that without speaking and getting very, like Brian Stevenson says, right, getting really proximate um, mm-hmm. to consumers and users or whoever you're trying to support, right? You, you can't assume you know what they need without talking to them. Right. So what, I, what else I hear you saying is that, one, you asked lots of questions to really understand, um, you know, what, what the needs were and how you could kind of close the gaps on those. Two, you, you know, really looked at all of the various different process points. And then three, you leveraged the expertise from, like you said, bringing in other people who had the expertise to help you execute and get this done. Totally. Yeah. I, I don't think one person or one team can do this work, right? I'm not a marketer. I'm not a, an engineer. I'm not a product manager, right? And, and those are the groups that own the pieces of the system, right? And so mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense for me to build something and say, like, I need you to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Does it work? Who knows? Probably not. And so it's about co-creating, I think, to figure out what works best for everyone and how you can make it as easy as possible for multiple perspectives to be at the table. 
Awesome. Well, I do have another question for you, and it kind of relates to which I'm super proud and excited to to uh, to highlight to our listeners is that you have a new book coming out that you wrote about the work that you're doing at Google. Um, but it leads me to um, ask you more of a, a personal question and on how did you set and achieve this goal? Because it was a kind of a personal and professional goal to do this, knowing, uh, you know, and how did you achieve it? Like what, what, you know, when you think about setting your goals and achieving your goals, how do you go about, you know, moving forward? And the reason I ask you this is because I know that it's no easy feat writing a book and releasing a book while working at an organization like Google um, with all of the compliance and the regulatory stuff that goes along with it. So how do you set your goals and achieve your professional goals? And, um, um, how do you handle some of the setbacks? Yeah, so I think it's just, the um, first thing is about in- intentionality, right? Like, so I think really taking time to figure out what your short, medium, and long-term goals are mm-hmm. um, and being really crystal clear on that, right? Like every, in the beginning of the year, I always do a vision board um, and I have it like somewhere where I see it every day. And I think even if it isn't a vision board, right? Like writing stuff down or having it in front of you holds you accountable, right? If you're, right. you know, you have a certain goal and you're looking at it every day and you're like, I haven't made progress. It's like not a great feeling, right? So I think that's the first thing is to understand, be really clear about your goals, be really intentional about them. I think the second thing is, is to, not constantly, but periodically assess if the things you're doing are moving you towards that goal, right? If you have a lot of superfluous things that aren't leading you to the biggest goals you have, you probably want to take a a look at like if you should be spending as much energy on them. And I think there's always sacrifice and prioritization that has to happen. Right. Um, In terms of writing a book, right? Like it, it was daunting at first because... I, you know, I was like, I, even in college, right? Like they'd say, write a 30 page paper. And I'd be like, <laughs> like I don't know if we're going to get to 30. Like you might get 15, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so I think it's also about breaking stuff down and figuring out a process that works best for you. So I think my process was probably unorthodox in that um, I had heard from a lot of writers and read a lot of articles where they said, just try to write like 200 to 250 words a day. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was kind of my thought around it. And I, the second thought was, I wasn't going to necessarily have to write it in order, right? Like there was obviously right. a skeleton for things I wanted to add. But for me, it was real. it felt like a lot of pressure if it was like, by next week, I need to finish chapter one and two, right? right. Sometimes you're, you're inspired and you want to talk about chapter 13. So like you should go to chapter 13 and write whatever you want, right? So right. that might not work for everyone. And obviously there was a lot of cleanup that had to happen after writing mm-hmm. it like, in disparate parts. But for me, just breaking it down and giving myself grace to say like, when you're inspired, go with it. If you're not inspired, get to the minimum 200. <laughs> moving right, right. Um, don't, don't beat yourself up about it if you you can't do it or you know you're not inspired that day mm-hmm. um, and then I think the third piece that was super helpful was that you know it takes a village to do this work and it took a village to get this book together right and so right. to to lean on um, you know my my community to lean on also bringing other voices into the book right like mm-hmm. what you'll see is there a lot of voices reflected in their own words talking about the work that they're doing and I think that you know it, it had to be that way right because I'm not the only one doing the work there are a lot of people powering this work and so I think being able to bring more people into the fold one made it easier right because I <laughs> did not write everything um <laughs> But two, it's, it's multiple voices. It's more inclusive that way. It's a community that does this work, and it's a community that's reflected in the book. 
Right. And just so that our listeners are aware of the book, it's called Building for Everyone, Expand Your Market with Design Practices from Google's Product Inclusion Team. And um, it's out now, right, Annie? It's, it's, um, it's Yeah, it's going to be available uh, August 3rd, but it's out. You can, yeah, you can pre-order it. Um, and I hope that it, it's helpful. <laughs> no, I'm sure it will be. I mean, it's, it brings, uh, and I think for listeners to understand, it's, it brings also another lens of how beautiful the diversity of thought um, is to creating kind of better solutions for, for the world, for organizations. And I think it also helps even those individuals who I get lots of questions all the time from ERG leaders and others of like, how can we have more impact on the business? And I really do think that them reading this book will, um, you know, and the case studies that you present in it will give them ideas of how they can add value in organizations outside of just creating community and safe space and, you know, career development kind of programming. So I do think that you would, you'll be pleasantly surprised if you read this book on how you can engage and also as a team member on any team bring that diversity of thought as as you said so um um so eloquently earlier annie that you know just being your authentic authentic self and knowing that the diversity of thought brings a lot of value that you have different perspectives and just who you are so you mm -hmm. should be proud and confident in that itself mm -hmm. totally That's yeah <laughs> and so you know talking a little bit about on that on you know thinking about individuals and bringing that diversity of thought being authentic is really kind of establishing and, and developing a brand for yourself or a personal brand and reputation. Um, what is the key? What would you say is the key for our listeners and for some of these, you know, women of color and, you know, younger listeners who are thinking about, build, you know, how do they build that brand and that reputation and how do they tell their story? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, the first thing is to understand, like, who, who you are and, and, like, how you want to show up, right? Um, so I think if you, for example, want to be known as an innovator, right, like an em empathetic person, like, let's say those are the two things, I would be really firm on those. And then I would start to ask other people, right? I would ask um, maybe managers and former managers, I'd ask friends and family, I'd ask some people that like know you in a professional right. sense, right? And if the stuff that comes back is like way off of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> being innovative and be, being an empathetic person, right? Like I would not, not necessarily change it, right? Like you just want to assess that, right? So I think the first thing is to make sure that the way you're showing up and the way you view yourself, at least in a professional setting, are aligned. Right. People may say other things, right? They might say, I think you're, you know, you're really funny and I think you are, um, I don't know, you're, you're a champion of, for the right. underserved, right? Um, if those two things align and you're like, I'm good with that, right? Like, that's awesome. Right. If there's a huge disconnect, then I would start to think about like how you can mitigate and show up in a different way. And I think you can be intentional about like what your, your values are. But I think it's first really important to be clear about what those values are and then make sure that like that's how you're showing up um, and then you can kind of make changes as as you see fit um, I think the second thing is to practice right like you you obviously have so many things you can bring to the table but you want to be really crisp on like what pieces you want as part of your like elevator pitch right so like I've definitely had um, I was part of management leadership for tomorrow the, the pre-professional program right and yes it's a lot of time um, figuring out like from our resume or like from our personal life or a mix of the two, who we are and how we want it to show up. Right. So like right. if you have a 30, 60, 90 second pitch, 
it's really easy when someone's like, tell me about you and like, what, what drives you, right? You're like, I'm Annie, you know, I come from two Haitian parents and mm-hmm. I'm from the East Coast, right? Like, and you have that story and you know what personal pieces and professional pieces you want to bring. But I think mm-hmm. that takes practice, especially if you're an introvert like I am, right. um, especially if you're coming into spaces where um, you don't see a lot of people that look like you, right? So like practice, it's like a muscle, right? It gets easier yeah. as, as the more you do it. And so I would say, write it down, practice it, get feedback. I'm, I'm, if you can't tell, I feel like I keep saying like, ask other people, but yeah. I think it's really important to get multiple perspectives, even on your personal development, right? Like you at the end of the day are going to care the most about how you show up as you should, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't get other perspectives while you're kind of like honing, I guess, what your brand is. No, that's absolutely key. I think feedback, it's one of those, um, it's a catch-22, right? It's bittersweet. People (laughs) need the feedback to grow, but sometimes it can be a a bitter pill to swallow. But um, at the end of the day, you don't know what to change. So you don't know what you don't know. And unless you find some truth tellers out there that give you that feedback, then you're going to get stuck and and you're not going to be able to move forward. I think that's brilliant. I think, yeah, that's so true. I remember Karen Stumberg, who we both yeah. worked with, like, she was definitely one of those people for me, right? Like she would, you know, there was a point where she said, you know, you're, you're up speaking, for example, right? Like when you get nervous, I hear your voice go up at the end of sentences. And she would start to bring me into meetings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she would tell me, she'd be like, oh, there, you did it again, right? And it, it was like, I needed someone who I trusted, but also I knew believed in me to kind of help push me forward, right? right. Um, and I think you need to find mentors, advisors, sponsors, and, and coaches, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're going to have to push you into situations you're not comfortable with so you can grow. Like you said, you don't want to get stagnant. And the only way you're going to grow is to be in new, uncomfortable <laughs> experiences and be like, okay, that wasn't that bad. Like, what can I learn from it? How can I be better next time? Right. That's fantastic. So you touched on a little bit on setting your goals, how you, every year you create vision boards, et cetera. What are some daily habits or rituals um, that are key to your career success that you would, um, you know, share with our listeners that if, you know, they kind of um, adopt could help them along the way? Yes, I think, um, Rituals are really important for me. Um, they, I, I notice when I don't do my rituals, right? Like I definitely <laughs> feel very different. Um, so a few things in, in the morning that are really helpful for me to just kick off the day are to say at least three things I'm grateful for um, and to just like really marinate on those. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I journal, but sometimes it's not in the morning. Like it's just not happening. But I try to kind of have time for reflection, even if it's like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I set my intentions for the day. Uh, I think that that's really important for mm-hmm. me, right? So again, when, you know, all these asks are coming to you or you have back-to-back-to-back meetings to say, the, the two things I need to get accomplished today are X and Y. And so it's like, if I accomplish X and Y, like I'm good. Anything else over that is gravy, right? Like I'm right. like, wow, I was really like thriving <laughs> today, right? So um, I think just being really intentional about what what you're trying to get done that day so that when mm-hmm. other outside things come, you're not getting distracted. Uh, and then I think even five to 10 minutes of meditation um, mm-hmm. are really important for me. I think... Yeah, I definitely notice when I haven't done it. Um, and then the final thing in the morning, and you're probably like, this is like the longest morning ever, um, <laughs> is to, to work out. Um, yeah. I, I need to work out even if it's 30 minutes. Um, I just feel a lot better. Even if I don't want to do it when I'm getting out of bed, I feel so much better after. And so I think having time and space, especially to start your day, that is your own 
and you're having time and space to think about like what you want to get accomplished and practicing self-care, whatever that looks like for you, right? It might Mm -hmm. not be working. It might be something else. Uh, I think that that helps guide the day, especially when there's so many other stressors. So I would just say, yeah, find what rituals help you feel centered and um, can allow you to kind of practice gratitude. Because I think also, even when you wake up inevitably on the wrong side of the bed, right, or in the middle Mm -hmm. of the day, I'm like, oh my God, like, (laughs) how is this my day? You know, (laughs) Uh, to say like, I'm really grateful, you know, that I I'm healthy. I'm really grateful, you know, that I have a dog, right? Like whatever it is, it doesn't have <laughs> right. to be huge things, right? Uh-huh. But like the more that you start to say gratitude, you're like, oh, I actually have more than three things, right? Like I'm really right. grateful for my manager, whatever it is. Um, but I think gratitude helps, especially in the times where it's like super, super stressful. No, that's an excellent um, point of advice and, and your rituals as well. But uh, gratitude is usually what gets me through those anxiety ridden days um, of like, okay, this isn't as, you know, as bad as it, you know, as it seems and what am I grateful for and whatnot. So I think that's an excellent point. So one question we love to ask all of our podcast guests before we wrap up is um, how can women accelerate success in the digital age? (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I think it's about kind of figuring out what your, I don't want to say competitive advantage, but what, what makes you different and unique, right? And leveraging that on, on a digital platform, right? I think mm-hmm. all of us, right, are using digital services a ton now. Yes. And so it's about figuring out like what your niche is, right? Like you don't have to be great at everything. You have to be good at one thing. So like, mm-hmm. you know, like Monica, you're doing an amazing podcast, right? Like that is your, <laughs> your digital niche, right? Um, so I think it's about, again, reflecting on what, what are your values? What do you want to be known for? And then how can you leverage um, digital technology to do that? Um, and then I think the second thing is, is to find like, like-minded community, right? So right. Um, I think the community is, is beneficial because you get to bounce ideas off each other, you get to learn and grow, but then it's also, you can start to share, right? And get feedback and, and kind of build authentically. Cause I think, there can sometimes be a challenge with like digital um, connection, right? Where it might Mm -hmm. feel as authentic because you're not in person, right? But I think taking the best parts of, you know, what networking does or what Mm -hmm. community building does and just start small and and building that kind of like cohort mentality of people you admire, people you think you can learn from, but people you can um, also give back to, I think is really important, especially on on digital platforms. And I think it's great ideas. quantity, right? Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you just said is extremely important because we're finding ourselves in this new virtual capacity of meeting and doing work. And I, it's not going away. I think it's going to be the new normal. So find that niche, right. And find what, you know, how you can, how you can uh, put that innovative twist and uh, bring what you're good at, you know, to the digital world. I think that's fantastic. So I know that our listeners are going to um, really want to know how to get in touch with Annie and stay connected with Annie and follow you and all of the great things that you're doing. Um, This has been a fantastic and insightful conversation, Annie. So thank you so much for um, giving Beyond Barriers the time. But before you go, how do we get in touch with you and how do we stay in touch? Yes. So um, you can always um, email me or um, I can be found on social media at at it's me AJB, which is easy to remember, hopefully. Uh Um, 
yeah, I'm happy to connect. However, I, I'm happy via email, via LinkedIn, which is just linkedin.com slash Annie Jean Baptiste. Um, but yeah, I'm grateful again for the time and for allowing me to um, be a part of this and learn from you. So thank you. No, thank you so much. I appreciate. Uh, and it was great reconnecting. It was awesome reconnecting. <laughs> I missed you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks for listening. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com, where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode. And be sure to take the quiz on the website. Your score will tell you where you are, what helps you gain momentum, and what holds you back. You'll also get a free guide with cutting-edge career strategies. We'd also love to hear from you. Share your comments and topic suggestions on IamBeyondBarriers.com and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode.